Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to Leading Simple, episode 200. And I am so excited to have my daughters on the podcast. First time on the, on the podcast and probably the first time they have listened to the podcast. So, girls, why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us your age. Hi, so I'm Sydney, and I am 17 years old. I'm Lindsay, and I'm 19. Fantastic. By the time this airs, they're going to be very close to 20 and 18. Okay, girls, so the world wants to know, what's it like to be a pastor's kid? Um, You're affectionately referred to as a PK, but um, I'm sure that there's good things and bad things about that. So let's talk about the best thing about being a pastor's kid. Let's hear it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it does have some perks. It's definitely difficult because overall, I don't prefer being a pastor's kid. But, I wouldn't choose this. Um, yeah, but I think one thing is being able to like play hide and go seek in the church because my dad has the key. So we could do that for like a birthday party or something, <laughs> which is so weird, but it's also so fun. <laughs> Another nice thing about it is that when father travels to different places, um, like Atlanta to preach or Florida, we get to go with him, and that's always really fun. Okay, so explain to our listeners why, Lindsay, you call me father. Oh, um, it started as a joke where I just started calling him father because it sounded really proper, but now I can't stop. It's all I know. <laughs> we live in a very proper English-type house. Definitely. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, those are some of the the best things about being a pastor's kid. Sydney, you mentioned you wouldn't choose this. Why is that? Um, Yeah, so I think it's definitely difficult sometimes just because of, um, there's definitely a pressure put on you to know all the answers, to say the right things, to be a certain person. And it was hard growing up just because I wasn't, like, yeah, I was born into a Christian home with my parents really in the church, but I didn't have my own relationship with Christ, and I just knew what to say. I knew the right things to say, and I didn't like that pressure put on me, and it caused me almost to, like, not really want to um, participate in those types of things where, like, small groups where I'd be asked questions and that type of situations, but it was definitely a challenge that I had to work through, um, as, I sh- as I'm sure it was for Lindsay, too, but you learn a lot from it. Um, so yeah, just the pressure put on you is very difficult, um, and people expect a lot from you because of that, and you're always like worried about what you might say because of how it can make your dad look or make the church look. And then for me, I would say my least favorite part was being in small group, and the small group leader always expects you to answer every single question because of who your dad is, and as an introvert, I really hate that, but... Um, I always had to answer them anyways, or I had to have the right answer because that's what was expected. And I really did not enjoy that. (laughs) Well, try being the pastor, being in a small group. I have the same problem. Everybody stares at me. Uh, And sometimes you just don't know the answer. So did you ever just guess? Oh, all the time. All the time. Was was the the default answer just Jesus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a a, go-to. It was a lot of educated guesses. A hypothesis, if Mm -hmm. you will. Yeah, definitely that. I will. Um, I heard our mutual friend, uh, Marty Walker, talk about how kids in his church would put pressure on his kids to be more spiritual than they were. And he would say, uh, you're an electrician, right? Yes. Okay, so should I have your kids come over and fix the wiring in my house? I thought that was a great answer. So what do you think 
the undue pressure is people put on you guys? I mean, why do they think that, that you should be different than every other kid? I think they expect like our morals and character to be better because since our dad is such a great person, he should have raised us to be just like that. And so there's a lot of pressure going into how we are raised that we're expected to act a certain way Yeah. to be the example for others. Well, and you two have been great. I haven't had to deal with that, but there are certainly pastors that have kids that make, you know, their own decisions and sometimes make really dangerous and difficult decisions. What would you say to that pastor dealing with their child who hasn't lived up to their church's expectations? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, yes, it depends on the pastor, but also it's most likely not on them because they are like if it is in most circumstances, the church is very good and that pastor is a great person, but sometimes their kids might not fully be able to understand that that pressure doesn't define you and that who your father is doesn't define you, which I think is a big part. And also somebody once said to me that I'm not the typical pastor's kid because oftentimes you'll see pastor's kids like start to rebel at a certain age because they've been in the church their whole lives and they're tired of it and they want to branch out. And if that's the case, it's really sad, but also they weren't being able to grow from that experience and not able to um, be able to find their relationship with Christ and be able to move forward in that. And I mean, it's not on the pastor himself and it's something that their child has to be able to work through. Um, yeah, Lynn, what would you say about it? Um, I think it's not a reflection of the pastor because they can only do so much. And for me, I think about like the um, sower and the seed parable. Mm. That's what it's called, right? That's right. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, <laughs> where there is the one seed that's planted and it starts to grow, but then it's choked out by the world. And so you can only do so much to nurture it before it just gives in to the things around it. And so that's not necessarily a reflection on the pastor. It's more a reflection of our will. Yeah. Yeah. And I would even go to say, like going back to the Old Testament where we see God so many times give his people away to their own sin because at a certain point, he just, he can't help them anymore. And he just has to give them away to their desires of this world. And like it gets to a point where, like Lindsay said, you can't help them anymore. And it's really sad. And you have to be able to just maybe even let them experience the world so they know they can realize how much greater Christ is through that. And oftentimes it just comes back to our own heart. And going back to the Old Testament, the one phrase that's repeated a lot when describing the Israelites is they do what is right in their own eyes. Um, and that's kind of what as a pastor's kid, you want to experience because for so long, you're just going by what your dad, whose pastor is telling you is correct. And mm. so it's easy to be like, well, I want to see what it's like to do what I think is right. Okay. So let me, uh, let me drill down on that just a little bit, because I think you're really getting into something here and it has a lot to do with expectations we put on you. I know mom and I put, um, boundaries, you know, in place for you. It started off as rules when you were in elementary school, turned into boundaries as you got into junior high and high school, but you didn't always like them. Um, certainly some boundaries when it came to dating. Um, you know, what, what, did, uh, what did you not like uh, as far as the boundaries go? Um, yeah, I mean, I know boundaries are to help me, and I definitely agree with that. And I think 
some of them are really good. Um, for example, there are good boundaries like I remember I had this friend in elementary school who was not a good influence on me and mom had told me one time that she probably wasn't the best person to hang out with and by her setting those boundaries it was able to like make me a better person and those are good boundaries and I think in terms of dating there are a lot of good boundaries and like roles to follow so you don't make mistakes or you don't get hurt um but yeah, I mean, there were some that I didn't understand and I still don't understand and I might never understand. And that's okay because I know that they're to help me. And that was definitely a struggle because I kept thinking, well, maybe because I'm a pastor's kid, nobody is going to ever want to date me because they're scared of my dad and all the rules that my parents have. But that's not the case. And I know the boundaries are to help me. I still don't understand some of them. But overall, it's for like my parents want what's best for me and I just have to keep seeing that and trying to grow through it. Some of those boundaries that Sydney's mentioning are we had a time limitation on how much time she could spend with a boyfriend. Um, we had limitations for both girls on how much social media time they could have or phone time they could have. You know, and the amount of shows you can watch, that kind of stuff. Lynn, you want to chime in? The phone time was kind of stressful because we only... During the week, we only got an hour on our phone total, and a, then weekday. A day. a day. A day. Okay, wait. That's not even the full story. You would get an hour on your phone a day, but you could only do 15-minute increments, and all those increments <laughs> yeah. had to occur while sitting on the stairs, so you wouldn't get too comfortable on the couch. So take note on that of what not to do if you want your kids to be kind people. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of fits thrown about that. And you only got two hours on the weekend. Yeah. So it wasn't much of a difference. And the most stressful thing was being in the middle of something and everything just shuts down. You <laughs> Your do, time goes off. You had to go beg for the screen time password. <laughs> well, I actually have a story about that. So one of my friends was at volleyball camp and her parents did the same thing with screen time. And so her screen time would shut off and she couldn't text anyone either, and, like, that was part of it. So she's at volleyball camp, and she gets locked out of her room, her hotel room. Everyone is in bed, and she's knocking on doors and can't wake anyone up. She gets on her phone to call someone, but her screen time has gone off, so she can't contact anyone, and she sits outside of her room for two hours because of her screen time. <laughs> Sounds like a good life lesson for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Well, obviously, you know, there were rules that I had as a kid that I didn't understand until I became a parent and some that you didn't understand that you'll uh, understand later. So I, I want to shift to, okay, yeah, mom and I did some things that you didn't like, but hopefully we did some things you did. So um, give us a couple things that you thought, okay, that was helpful. Yeah. So one thing that was super helpful was the something that we learned probably when I was probably six or seven and Lindsay was probably eight or nine. And I think that was, it was something that my dad called tennis ball conversations. And so our whole family were introverted. And so Lindsay and I were not good at talking to people. Like someone would come up to us that we didn't know and we would, they would try and talk to us and we would look at them and just be like, hi. And like, yeah, just kind of stand there. Just kind of stand there and walk away, and it was awkward, and we were little, and so that was our excuse. But I remember one night at dinner, my dad goes, we're going to learn something called tennis ball conversations. And that was somebody bounces you an imaginary tennis ball of, like, a question, like, how are you? 
you grab the ball, you bounce it right back and say, I'm good. How about you? And it keeps going. And that's how you carry a conversation. So that turned into almost a game. And I was like, okay, I'm playing to win. Like I'm going to bounce this ball back so many times. And there would be prizes. Like my dad would watch us throughout the night if it was a church event. And then we'd get like a dessert or something or even like $5. (laughs) Um, but now I'm able to like go up and talk to people and literally every time that I'm in a conversation I just keep thinking of that tennis ball and I hated it in the moment because I was embarrassed and I don't know why it was embarrassing to be like how are you and it just felt weird but now it's super like natural and makes more sense and it helped me to be a better person and that was something I really liked and that was super helpful and it was kind of fun. And now, like, when I'm talking to people, I'll go home and tell, tell my parents about it. And I'm like, they did not learn the tennis ball conversation. It was just me bouncing the ball to myself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was super helpful. Another thing that went along with that was learning to smile, too. Because a lot of the times, we're, like, totally fine and happy, but our face does not look it at all. And so I remember being in, like, fourth grade. And people would be like, are you okay? You look really sad. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine. But, like, then my parents were like, you just have to smile, like, constantly. You know, not in a creepy way, but just enough to where (laughs) um, you don't look upset or anything. um, Because that really helps a lot with people coming up to you and, like, your body language. Mm -hmm. And going along with, like, the tennis ball conversations. Yeah, and being approachable, too. Yeah, that's the word. Well, I think that's something the three of us have learned from your mother. Because she does that all the time. I... I've been yeah. accused of having a scowl often, but yeah. I'm not mad. I'm just thinking of something else. You're just resting. Yes, yeah, just or zoning out and staring, which is something that I've had problems with, and I don't know why <laughs> that even happens. But my <laughs> mom will scary. say, "Sydney, you look strange. Like, stop staring." Yeah. Hey, let's hit pause on the conversation for just a second. Today and this month, we are sponsored by Leader.com. Harvard Business Review tells us that 70% of the reason a person leaves their job is because of their relationship with their manager. Leader helps managers lead better through effective one-on-one meetings that drive outcomes and help each employee feel cared for and developed. So we have been using this at Real Life, and it is a wonderful tool. It's a platform that you can use with all of your team members, and it really helps keep you engaged. Make sure you check out Leader, L-E-A-D-R, so you drop that second E, dot com, leader.com to find out more. Now, back to the show. So I heard a, a comedian by the name of Michael Jr. He was on a podcast, and he said what he did with his kids was they would uh, have a phone and he would call up some random business and then just hand the phone to his kids. And whoever could keep the conversation going the longest won whatever the prize was. So it taught them how to have conversations with complete strangers. That's horrible. <laughs> I wish I'd heard that one before because that was a great idea. I would have cried many times if you'd made you me do that. You still do. Yeah. You actually still do if someone hands you a phone. Talking on the phone is horrible. I still don't like that. Okay. So before we go down that rabbit trail, um, so girls, good things and bad things about being a pastor's kid. Tell me a few things that you guys know about church that maybe most kids don't know because you've kind of been on the other side of it. <laughs> this is a hard one. Um, probably where like all the secret rooms are, like the electrical room, what's really in there. Um, <laughs> not always electrical. Not always electrical. Things like that, where different things lead in the student building. There's a lot of secret passages in the student building, which is strange. I think one thing is 
now that I'm at a Christian college, I hear a lot of kids talk about like the influence that their youth pastor had on them or like their pastor back home and just how they like mentored them spiritually. And for me, it's weird to think of some of the pastors at our church as doing that for me because they just seem like my parents' friends. Mm. They don't seem so much as like a spiritual leader. I'm like, oh yeah, like there's Kevin or whatever. Like he came mm-hmm. over for dinner last night or something. And it's just not the same way that you think of a pastor. It's more like, oh yeah, those are my parents' friends. Okay, makes sense. Um, so obviously you've seen both sides of the church. You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, what would you say? What would you say to other pastor kids that are out there, and they're they're just really discouraged? Or what would you say to their parents who are thinking, I don't know how to win at home and win at work and make my kids actually still like the church? What encouragement would you give? Um, I think a part of it is letting them figure it out, giving them space, and I think like a part of in my life was being pushed with the Bible in so many areas at school because of going to a Christian school at church, um, at home, I'd come home and be, my dad would say, Oh, we're going to listen to this podcast. And I remember like groaning and, (laughs) but at the end of the day, those things were helpful. And that's something that no matter what my parents told me, I had to find on my own and to figure that out and figure out my purpose, which is in Christ. And that's where my identity is. And if I didn't know that, then I wouldn't, probably I wouldn't be where I am with God. And it was something that you just have to remember, don't lose hope. And for the pastor's kids who probably are stuck and just feel like nobody understands them, um, just find those people to talk to who know you as more than a pastor's kid and find people maybe in your church, maybe outside of church or good Christian leaders who are older than you, who have more life experience you can talk to and will be there to kind of guide you through that because your parents will always be there for you. But it's always nice to have an extra person to go to who might be a bigger help, even if you're like struggling with your parents or that type of thing. I would say another thing is that helped me was whenever I'd start complaining about having to go to church all the time, my mother and father would talk about just picture it as someone who's never been to church and through their eyes. Um, And by doing that, it helps a lot to bring like a new light to it and not get so caught up in like the personal issues that you can see going on behind the scenes, but what's actually being seen to like new people who are coming in Mm. and not getting like not focusing so much on yourself. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I think that uh, we all, especially those of us that work in church or around church a lot, it can become a little bit more like a job or like a uh, have to rather than a get to. So, okay, uh, in in kind of your conclusion, I'd love for people to hear, because you each have different stories in this. You know, mom and I tried to, uh, you know, give you a lot of faith experience and meet Jesus, and we baptized you and all those kind of things. But there is a moment when your faith becomes your own. Um, so, Lindsay, talk a little bit about how you feel like your faith has become your own, and then Sydney will let you finish. I can't say that I know like a specific point of where I was like, okay, this is now my own because I think I've always been a Christian to some extent, but it gets to the point where I know all this, but like, how am I going to apply it? And that's when it really started to change. Like, especially in high school, even though I went to a Christian school, that did not make it any easier to follow Christ. In fact, that was probably some of the hardest times to stay strong in my faith. But by having like that background, as my since my dad's a pastor and like going off of that my faith became my own when I was able to practice it and live it out no matter how hard it was that's good Sydney 
Yeah, I think that's really good about, like, in high school, going to a Christian high school. It's not always easy. And um, even Christian high schools, they have their problems. And um, for me, it was probably, like, I growing up in, as a Christian and calling myself a Christian, knowing what to say, um, it was weird when I came to the realization of I don't know God as well as I think I do. And I, I know him, but I don't know him. And I don't have a relationship with him. And... I had to face battles of anxiety and struggling with that. And through that, I just kept looking to things of this world to try and fix my anxiety. And that became my idol. And I think once I changed my mindset and focused on my identity in Christ, a lot of that changed into not just saying what my parents say because I think it's right, um, but to actually like reading God's word and not viewing church as a chore, but viewing it as something that we do because we want to be in community with other believers and know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I feel like that's kind of making your faith your own and being able to grow in that and see what God is doing in other people's lives. And just being involved in a church community and with other people is super important. And I think that was a huge part of community through anxiety and like figuring out that my identity is in Christ. And that's who I need to look to when I'm struggling. That's great. Okay, girls, this has been awesome, but I promised you, you could ask me some questions as well. So we're going to turn it over to you and let you share a few things while you're preparing for that. I will tell our listeners, one of the things that uh, Lori and I would do is we, we visit a lot of churches just to check things out. And so I'd always make the kids go into children's ministry as my spies to figure out what they're doing well and what we could uh, learn from them. They caught on to that pretty quick and, and didn't even enjoy that. So anyway, nice try, huh? So, all right, up to you girls. Go for it. Okay. My question is, um, how does it make you feel when people send long emails about what they don't like about the church? Oh, I love those. Uh, no, I, I get those from time to time, people that are complaining about whether that's the temperature in the room or the song choices or how loud it is. Um, I, I think that I appreciate their heart, but I would just caution them that we're doing our very best to help people find and follow Jesus. And we very rarely do something without a great reason. Um, a lot of times we'll get con- uh, critique because uh, it's too loud, it's too cold, and it's too dark in the church service. And yet when I interview men who are new to Christ, I'll ask them, how did you start coming to our church? And they say, well, it was dark, so people couldn't see if I teared up. It was loud, so they couldn't hear me sing. Uh, and it was cold because I'm always hot. So I just think about the, the audience we're trying to reach and we're doing our best. So join us in that mission. And I'm telling you, if you go to church with an unchurched friend, you see things in a totally different light. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I, th- I like how you said that you do pretty much everything for a reason, like being, I don't know, like being more involved in the people too. Okay, so what would you say your least favorite thing about your job is? I think my least favorite thing is counseling. And I don't do a lot of it, but I'm not good at it. Because whoever the last person is to speak to me, I tend to side with them. Oh, well, that makes a good point. Yeah, I'll go with that. So I'm not a very good counselor, so I don't feel like I can do it well. That's why we usually refer people to others. But uh, that's probably my least favorite part of the job. 
Well, now we know that we should be the last in the room if you're going to counsel Lindsay and I with an argument. Yes, of course. It's a little different when it's my kids. What's your favorite thing about your job? Well, there's nothing better than teaching. Uh, I just love being able to break down God's Word in a uh, fun and uh, interesting way. And being able to share that and see the light bulb go on for people is huge for me. So that's the best part. Okay, so if there is one thing you could tell everyone at Real Life and they would do it, what would it be? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, There have been so many studies done that have shown that if you read your Bible four times a week, it literally changes your life. Sydney, you've already alluded to that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing to come to church and hear me read the Bible to you. It's another thing to read it on your own. And when you do that, it literally changes everything about your relationships, even your health uh, and your life in, in general. So I would tell them, read the Bible for yourself. And there's so many great plans out there and um, how to do that. And so I'll wrap up with that because one of my favorite things is with you girls because I get the emails from you version when you guys complete a Bible study and when you start a new one. And I'm so proud of the way you guys have made the Bible more than a textbook, but um, an actual part of your life. And that's definitely changed uh, my life seeing that. So girls, thank you for being a part of the podcast. You have one more question? We have one more question. This is the one that the listeners are going to hear the most. Oh, yes. What is the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you as a pastor? (sighs) There's so many. Uh, I did a hospital call one time on somebody and I had the wrong room and called them the wrong name the entire time. I did a hospital call on a woman and she had just had a mastectomy and she was investigating how the surgery went as I walked in. On stage one time, I was trying to say the phrase that jewels are shapely and I said Jews are shapely. So I could go on and on. But uh, I have made my share of mistakes and faux pas from the stage and certainly uh, in life in general. So there you go, girls. You got that one. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Well, ladies, thank you so much for being a part of this on our 200th episode of Leading Simple. Hey, let me ask you, what is your favorite episode of Leading Simple so far? You know, really all of them speak to me. Most specifically, episode number 39. Isn't Michael DeFazio in one? He is. Then sure, I'll choose that one. You'll choose that one. Shout out to Michael DeFazio if you're listening. All right. Mm -hmm. We know you. Yes. Scott, (laughs) cut the microphone. This is getting crazy. All right. Thank you, guys. And we'll be back next week with brand new episodes. So grateful for you listening. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.